Well, I realize this morning that I have bit off more than I can chew and uh, probably more than you'll be able to swallow in this, uh, in this service. <clears throat> I want to talk about uh, the second coming of Jesus, but in order to do that, I need to give uh, uh, an even broader frame of reference. The Bible tells us that in the very beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I know some of you are thinking, you're going to start with Genesis 1. and uh, So we are going to be here for a while. But the first three chapters of Genesis do tell us that God made a perfect world. And he placed in that world uh, uh, Adam and Eve, and, and uh, he had fellowship with them. It was almost as if uh, the, the kingdom of God overlaid the Garden of Eden. And it was where God lived on earth, right there in the garden, because the Bible says that God would walk with Adam and Eve in the, and have fellowship with them. It was a perfect environment. But we also know that the third chapter of Genesis tells us that Adam and Eve sinned, that they were deceived by Satan, and they disobeyed God. They, they actually declared their independence from God. They said, we, we want to be God. And uh, when that happened, there was a, a, a terrible, terrible break that happened. And uh, the kingdom of God was no longer in the garden. And uh, now that became the kingdom of rebellious man. But right there in the very beginning... God made a promise that he was going to put into place a plan that would someday restore the kingdom of God overlaying humanity and that there would be people who would, would live in the kingdom. And so the rest of the Bible, really, the first three chapters give us that uh, frame of reference, and the rest of the Bible is the story of God putting into motion the events that would lead up to the kingdom of God coming here on earth. And uh, uh, we read about how that God started this process by calling a man named Abram, and he made him a promise that from him and his descendants would come uh, a king. There would be a Messiah. There would be a Savior. There would be one who would restore the kingdom of God on this earth. And the whole Old Testament, the story of the Old Testament, both the narrative parts and then the prophets all speaking about how this king would come. And, and it, it's kind of a confusing in a way because <coughs> when the prophets looked forward, they saw... They saw this king coming and, and dying. But then they also saw him coming and ruling and reigning on earth. And it was confusing to them. The Bible actually tells us that they didn't fully understand. They just knew this was what they were to proclaim. That there was going to come one who, according to Psalm 22 and according to Isaiah 53 and so many, many other passages, that this this Messiah that was coming would come and, and somehow or another he would, would actually be killed. He would be pierced. He would be, uh, he would be humiliated and he would be brought down into death but that he would see his life again. 
And so they, they didn't understand that, and, and we wouldn't have understood it either. In fact, a lot of people still don't understand it today. But then they also saw this one, the same one, the one that's called the branch, the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer. They saw him actually ruling on the earth and establishing a kingdom that would last forever. And uh, many of the prophets talk about it a lot. Daniel especially talks about it. He gives a, a story, and I think it's Daniel chapter 2. He tells a vision that this king Nebuchadnezzar had in which he saw this giant image, and uh, it had a head of gold. It had a arms and, uh, of silver, and, and it had a, a, a chest and a stomach of bronze, and it had legs of iron, and its feet were iron mixed with clay and kind of a weird dream. And, and then all of a sudden... As he looked, he said he saw a rock cut out of the side of a mountain, and that rock flew down and hit that great colossal image on its feet. And when he did, the whole image just was pulverized. It just turned into dust, and the wind came and blew all of it away. And all that was left was that rock. And then that rock began to grow. And it got bigger and bigger and bigger, and it finally became a mountain that filled the whole earth. And that dream really troubled Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, that would trouble you, wouldn't it, if you had a dream like that? Kind of troubled me when I first read it. You know, I thought, wow, what a, what a weird dream. But, ne but Daniel said, Nebuchadnezzar, God is showing us a picture of future, the future that's to come. He said, right now, you are that head of gold. You are the greatest king and the greatest kingdom of man on earth. And then he went on how the Medes and the Persians are going to take your kingdom. And then Greece is going to take that kingdom. And then Rome is going to take that kingdom. And then eventually, someday, there would be a, a coalition of Roman government mixed with clay. Uh, not, not as strong as the Roman government, and in the days of those ten kings, he says, represented by the toes on the feet of that, uh, of that colossal image, in the days of that, king, of that kingdom, God's kingdom is going to come. And this smiting rock is going to come and totally destroy all the human kingdoms of the world. And that king... And that kingdom will rule forever and ever. And that will be the kingdom of God himself. And the king who will be over that kingdom will be the Messiah, the anointed one, God the Son. So that was amazing. Uh, but as we come through the New Testament, we see part of that prophecy fulfilled. We see that God actually came in the flesh here on this earth, grew up, lived a sinless life as Jesus of Nazareth, and then he died on a cross, and then he rose from the dead, and then he ascended back to heaven. That's the story that's told especially in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and part of Acts. But then everybody thought, well, I guess now the kingdom is coming. And Jesus said, not yet. 
Not yet. In fact, the disciples asked Jesus, Are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said, It's not for you to know the times and place and all the specifics. Here's what you know. Here's what you need to know. The power of God will come upon you in a few days, and you are to be witnesses to me, to all the nations of the world, and you are to tell them that the Savior has come, that Christ the Messiah has died for their sins, and that they need to repent of their sin, trust in Jesus, and someday he will come again. And he will come back, and at that time, he will establish his kingdom. At that time, he will establish his kingdom. And when Jesus uh, was asked by his disciples, teach us to pray, Jesus said, this is the way you're to pray. You start off by revering and hallowing the name of God, but then the very first thing that you pray for is thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And did you know there is coming a day when that kingdom will come? There is coming a day when God's perfect will, as it's done in heaven, will be done on earth. And there will be no sin. There will be no death. There will be nothing that defiles. And that kingdom is coming. But in order for that kingdom to come, some other things have to happen. There are some uh, <clears throat> kind of a, a timetable given to us, especially, again, in Daniel and then in the book of Revelation. The Bible tells us that the first thing that has to happen is that the church has to be taken out of the world. It's called the rapture of the church or the catching away of the church. The Bible tells us, and we've already looked at this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and look at it again in, in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Bible talks about a time in just the twinkling of an eye when a trumpet will blast and the archangel will shout and the dead in Christ will rise first and those of us who are still living at that time, will suddenly be changed. We'll be transported out of here. I'm a big Star Trek fan, and I used to watch uh, the Star Trek, and every time uh, uh, Captain Kirk would be down on a planet and he's in trouble and just about to uh, meet his doom, and he'd grab his transponder and say, what'd he say? Beam me up, Beam me up Scotty. And all of a sudden, he would just disassemble right here. And then it would show the transporter bay, and he'd reassemble there. And I'd think, that's like the rapture. That's what's going to happen. Someday, someday this world is going to get so chaotic. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? Someday this world is going to get so chaotic, and things are going to get so bad in so many ways that the church... Is going to say, beam me up, Jesus. And suddenly, in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, pew, every Christian on planet Earth will disappear and be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Now, the first time I preached on this in a church back in Tennessee, 
I had people look at me. They had never heard this. They had never heard about the rapture. In fact, one guy came to me after church and said, what is this rupture thing you're talking about? I said, no, it's not rupture. It's rapture. And he said, I never heard it. He was uh, probably in his 60s. He said, I never heard this in my whole life, which amazed me. And I, I began to show him in the Bible, all of the places in the Bible where it talks about the Christians being caught away. And we went to the book of Revelation, and, and we saw how that in, in Revelation chapter 5, verse 1, where the angel said uh, to John, come up here, and instantly he said, I was in the heavenlies with, with, uh, with God. And then he saw all the things that, that and the angel said to him, I must show you the things that must come to pass on earth. And then Revelation chapter uh, uh, 6 through chapter 19 gives us kind of a panorama of things to come. So, uh, so we're going to, uh, to look at that this morning out of a passage in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But before I even get to that, let me just kind of give you an overview of what, it, what the whole Bible teaches. After the rapture of the church, this will usher in that seven-year period of time that is called the day of the Lord's wrath. It's called the great tribulation. It's called the day of Jacob's trouble. It's a time, seven-year period of time, in which several things will happen. Number one, a man is going to rise to power and authority that will be called the beast, actually, at least that's God's perspective of him, is the beast, but he will not appear to men as a beast. In fact, the Bible describes him as a man of great, charming personality, a man who is able to actually bring about a sense of peace on earth for a little while. But he has an ulterior motive. This man, we refer to him biblically as the Antichrist, uh, and he is the one who comes, in a sense, mimicking the Messiah. He will actually declare himself to be the Savior of the world. But he is a Savior who comes with a bloodthirsty uh, purpose. And during that seven-year period of time, he rises to power. He also makes a peace treaty with Israel and appears to solve the Middle East problem, which has been around for a long time. And he even allows the Jews to rebuild their temple. And they rebuild their temple. And again, sacrifices begin to be instituted. And it looks like everything's going great. But after three and a half years, he enters the temple himself. And he declares himself to be God. And he orders that he be worshipped as God of the world. And, of course, this is an unbelievable thing to the Jews. And during this particular period of time, well, again, I, say I know a bit off way more than I can chew this morning, but uh, two witnesses will appear on earth. They will proclaim the, the eternal gospel. Multitudes of Jews will recognize Jesus as their Messiah, 
and they will become believers, and then they will become missionaries, and they will go out to all the nations of the world during this chaotic, horrible time, and many non-Jews will believe in Jesus during this period of time. And as that, the last half of the tribulation, the last three and a half years, you just read about it in the book of Revelation, it's a horrible thing. The, the wrath of God is poured out on the world. Seven bowls, the Bible says, of God's wrath, one after another, is poured out on this rebellious planet. And then that doesn't bring about repentance. It actually brings about even more rebellion and the forces of the Antichrist will gather in battle against Christ himself when he comes back and then he, by the way, it's a short battle. The Bible says that he will defeat the enemies with just the word of his mouth, the sword that goes out of his mouth, and he will defeat the enemies. And then... He will establish his kingdom here on earth. And the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. So, uh, that's a lot to cover. Now, let's just see something about it here. In uh, I preached my sermon. I'm going to read my text. Okay. Uh, second. Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. And with that background in mind, you kind of got that uh, scenario pictured in your mind, then let's, let's read this. Now, Paul is writing to these Thessalonian Christians. He was with them for a little while, just a very short while. He told them everything that I've just told you. And he gave fuller explanation of it than I have here this morning. And they were excited about it, but they wondered when it was going to happen. And then something happened. Somebody sent them a letter from the, claiming to be from the Apostle Paul saying that the rapture had already taken place and that the day of the Lord was already here, that the day of God's wrath was here. And so they were all worried and concerned about it. There's a lot of false teaching about the second coming. And so he says, now... Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, that's the rapture, we ask you, brothers, do not be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. He says, That's, that, that, that has not happened yet. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come, that is the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord's wrath will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness, this is the Antichrist, is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, 
proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. He says, that man of lawlessness, that antichrist, cannot be revealed. He cannot come to power. He cannot move to the front because something is in his way. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Now, there's all kinds of debate here as to what this verse means. Here's what I think it means. I could be wrong, but uh, hopefully I'm not. I believe the church, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, is what is keeping the world from just totally rotting today. It's what is keeping the Antichrist from coming to place of power. But once the church is gone, once the Spirit of God in the church is taken away, then the lawless one will be revealed. This son of perdition, this antichrist, will suddenly take advantage, actually, of the disappearance of all of the people of God. Can you imagine if the rapture happened tonight at midnight? I'm not saying it will, but if it did... That would mean that millions of people across the planet would be unaccounted for. They would just disappear. They would be gone. And the world, obviously, would be in tremendous chaos. Just imagine getting up the next morning, looking at the newspapers, listening to the Internet or the television, looking on the Internet. And it says millions disappeared at midnight last night. What has happened? And uh, I, don't, I, don't know, uh, I don't know all the answers to it, but I know it would certainly bring about total chaos around the world. And in the midst of that chaos, <clears throat> someone steps forward with a plan. <clears throat> he is a man of... Great persuasive power. In fact, the Bible actually says that Satan actually takes up his residence in that man. Just as God was in the flesh in Jesus, the Christ, Satan will be in the flesh in the Antichrist. And he, along with a false prophet who requires all men to worship this man, will hold sway over the whole world. And the, the final kingdom of man will be established. It's that kingdom of iron mixed with clay. And in the days of that kingdom, Christ will come. So let's see, how far did I get? Talking about the Antichrist. How far did I get, Brad? Do you remember where I... Okay, verse 7. Okay. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance 
of his coming. That is, when Jesus comes back the final time, that battle, we call it the battle of Armageddon, that battle will take place, but it will be a short-lived battle. Christ just speaks the word. You can read about it again in Revelation uh, 19. And uh, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan. With all power and false signs and wonders. This Antichrist, he will not have the ability to do miracles, but he will have the ability to appear to do miracles. They are called lying signs and wonders. They are not real wonders. Jesus could do actual miracles. This Antichrist will, like the magicians in Pharaoh's court, will appear to do miracles but it will not be true miracles. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and be saved. He says that when this lawless one, when when Christ comes back, two things will happen. He will judge the Antichrist and he will also judge all those who have followed the Antichrist and who have despised the truth and turned away from the true and living God. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. This this is probably the most compact passage in all the Bible describing the second coming of Jesus. Now, there, the whole book of Revelation, beginning with chapter 6, talking about the opening of the seals on this scroll that's rolled up, and every seal that's opened issues forth judgment, judgment, judgment. And then the seventh seal is opened, And there are seven trumpets then that begin to sound. And those seven trumpets bring new judgments. And then after those seven trumpets sound, there are finally seven bowls of God's wrath. And uh, I do not recommend the reading of the book of Revelation as bedtime reading. You want to read that at some time when you uh, can have a a good cup of coffee and, and read it. And end up on your knees. The Bible actually promises a blessing to all who read this book, who read the book of Revelation. But when Jesus comes back, he will judge the the faults, the Antichrist. Look in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. This is this is when Jesus comes back. By the way, this Antichrist, he will be a peacemaker at first and a protector of Israel at first, but then he becomes a peace breaker and he sets himself up as God and then he becomes (coughs) a persecutor and he begins to persecute on a level that we've never seen before. (coughs) There's great persecution going on in Nigeria right now toward the Christian church. There's persecution going on in North Korea right now. There's persecution going on in many, many parts of the world. But the Bible said this particular persecution 
that there's never been a time like it and never would be again. So it'll be a horrible time. But then the persecutor becomes a prisoner. Revelation 19, 11 through 21. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. You know who that is, don't you? That's Jesus. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. No doubt this is Jesus. Still bearing the robe dipped in the blood of Calvary. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And by the way, I believe that's the church. I believe that's us. Brother Joe, I'll finally get to ride a horse. And I won't fall off. So, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come! Gather for the great supper of God. Now, this is not the marriage supper. This is a different supper. To eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and their riders and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast. This is the Antichrist. And the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured. And with it, the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Not a very pleasant thought or scene, but it's what the Bible says. And then the kingdom will be established. And... The Antichrist will be judged. All those who have rebelled and rejected God, those who have taken the mark of the beast and sworn allegiance to him, will all be judged. And then those who have trusted in Christ will be rewarded. By the way, many, many during the tribulation will die for their faith. They will become believers during the tribulation, and they will pay the price for it. Now, I could ask, are there any questions? 
But uh, right now, everybody's got a dozen questions, probably. I would encourage you to read the book of Revelation and to read it with this picture in mind that Christ is coming to judge sin and to judge the Antichrist and to establish his kingdom. And when he does come, he will create a new world. He will refurbish this sin-cursed earth. And the curse that was pronounced in Genesis chapter 3 will suddenly be removed. And his kingdom will come. And his will will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Now the real question is not how do I understand all these things? The real question is what will I do with Jesus? Will I bow before him now and trust him and love him and be one of those caught away when the rapture comes? Or will I, like the Antichrist, set myself up as my own God? Will I say, look, I'll do my own thing. And you can do that. But you cannot escape the judgment that comes upon all those who take that course of action. So I just appeal to you today. Put your trust in Jesus. Bow your knee before him. The Bible tells us that every knee ultimately will bow. It's not a matter of will you bow before Jesus. The question is, will you do it now or will you do it in hell? Where every knee will bow, even in hell, and declare that Jesus is Lord. He's Lord. But you don't want to do it in hell. You want to do it now. And wonderful, glorious day when Jesus comes again and rights all the wrongs, judges all the evil, and establishes that kingdom that will last forever. No human kingdom ever lasts. Babylon didn't last. Egypt didn't last. The Medo-Persians didn't last. Greece didn't last. And Rome didn't last. And neither will that last human kingdom. But there is a kingdom and a king who will rule forever. And of that kingdom, there will be no end. That rock that falls, Jesus said that he is that rock. And he said everyone who will fall upon that rock will be saved. But woe to those upon whom that rock falls. They will be crushed. So I ask you to bow before him. Call upon him. Trust him. Be a part of that kingdom. Be a part of those who will be caught away. And be a part of those who will come back with him for that final battle. Be a part of the ones who will live forever and ever and ever on the new earth in the kingdom that lasts forever. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have a Savior who loves us so much that he shed his blood on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven, our spirit could be renewed, and we could be secured to live in his kingdom forever and forever. And I pray that you will help each one of us today to ask and answer the question, have I been washed in that blood? Have I trusted in Jesus? Are my sins cleansed? And I pray that you will help us to be able to answer yes. And if not, that we will answer yes even today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.